Hi, my name's Andrew Chamberlain. I'm a writer and creative writing tutor, and you are listening to episode 20 of the Creative Writer's Tool Belt, the podcast that gives you practical, accessible advice that you can apply straight away to your own writing. In the last episode, I asked the question, do you want to write for yourself or for others? And having dealt with that question, I'm going to move on and assume that you want to write for others. How do we start? Well, the answer is that you start with your plan. And it's a plan that acknowledges that there are two forces at work when you write. One is that creative force that provides inspiration at any moment and across any aspect of your story. An evocative setting, a telling aspect of the character, a clever twist to the plot. And these things don't come in order in a nice convenient way. They come whenever they want and however they want. And you have to catch them and trap them in something like a writer's journal if you've got one. The other force at work here is around planning and it's a force that recognises the need to provide your work with a discipline and structure that will let you create a coherent story. In their classic handbook, The Elements of Style, William Strunk and E.B. White say this, A basic structural design underlies every kind of writing. Writing, to be effective, must follow closely the thoughts of the writer, but not necessarily the order in which those thoughts occur. This calls for a scheme of procedure. So what we're coming up with here is what these grand old men of writing style would call a scheme of procedure. And to help us do this, we're going to create a plan that allows us to address a number of different dimensions of story all at the same time. These will be things like character and plot, theme and setting. Now, of course, you might be one of those writers who starts with the plot and completely works it out before you move on to the characters. Or maybe you've got most of your characters sorted out before you even start thinking about the plot. But your work will be enhanced by acknowledging that there are several key dimensions to your story. You won't divide your time equally between all of them. But if you acknowledge them all, you'll have somewhere to put the ideas from across all of them as they come to you. So what are those key dimensions? Well, different people refer to them in different ways. But I like to think of them as... Character, plot, genre, theme, setting, style, point of view and tense. In his book How to Write, Harry Bingham says this. On the whole, you'd do well to make notes on your story, your characters, your setting and your themes before you get as far as writing your first sentence. This doesn't mean that you don't have a clear and compelling way to start your story. You may well have, but what are you going to do next? What are you going to do in the next chapter and the chapter after that? You need the space to be inventive and also a framework to contain your story. So let's briefly explore each of these dimensions in turn. We'll start with character and plot. Most writers tend to divide into one of two groups. One group tends to start with the plot and work most of that out before they come to the characters. Whereas the other group tend to start with characters and then build the plot around them. But one of the benefits of the approach I'm talking about here is that you're able to work on both of these dimensions as well as the others at the same time. That doesn't mean you can't start with one or the other. J.K. Rowling famously talks about the fact that Harry Potter as a character came into her mind fully formed. But Harry Potter and his friends live in a very specific world where plot and character are intertwined. It's the same with most great works. I doubt we'd have the best of Lizzie Bennet if she'd had to walk the mean streets of Raymond Chandler's Los Angeles. And Agatha Christie's Hercule Poirot wouldn't have fared terribly well as a castaway on his own desert island. Now I've explored character already in some of the earlier episodes and we'll revisit aspects of that again looking at issues like ambition, 
attitude, descriptive markers or vital statistics and other features that you can find in my Harvard model of character development. So next we've got genre. Now the plot will probably guide you in terms of genre but sometimes a story exists across more than one genre. The advice I would give you is this, if you're starting out on your career as a writer you need to know that if you're looking for commercial publication you'll probably need to stick to a single genre. It will help publishers deal with your work, it'll help them think about where your book might sit in a bookshop and which list to put you on assuming they want you. It might be hard for you to do this if your story works across a number of genres but this is where the tension of imagination and structure come together. Writing for publication is a fusion of heart and mind creativity and discipline of form. So find your genre and your market and stay there. Of course, as with so many of these so-called rules of writing, once you've sold a few million copies, you can break this rule at your leisure. Let's move on to theme. That's a more subtle concept. The theme of a book is an issue or an idea that's explored underneath the surface, as it were, underneath the surface of the characters and the plot. So, for example, in Harper Lee's book, To Kill a Mockingbird, she explores themes of justice, morality, discrimination and fear. In The Old Man and the Sea, Ernest Hemingway explores themes like conflict and struggle and pride as both a foolish trait and a great motivator. These things are not explicit in the plot, but they're there under the surface as a subtext to the whole book. Setting is next, and setting is the environment in which the story happens, where and when things occur. And setting can be bound up with both plot and character, but your setting has to have coherence, even if your work is a fantasy. In fact, especially if your work is in fantasy, it has to have coherence and it has to have authenticity and hang together. And it also has to be compelling. If your reader can't be transported into the story as you describe your setting, then you're going to have big problems. So when J.K. Rowling transports us to Hogwarts, we know we're in a magical place. When Daphne du Maurier starts her novel Rebecca, we know that we're being taken into a, a fascinating and evocative setting. In fact, I'll read to you the first couple of lines of Rebecca so that you can see what I mean. Last night, I dreamt I went to Mandalay again. I came upon it suddenly, the approach masked by the unnatural growth of a vast shrub that spread in all directions. There was Mandalay, our Mandalay, secretive and silent as it had always been. And as that book starts, we're taken by the author into that setting. So then next we have style, and this is the most elusive of all dimensions. But the core of style is the art of conveying meaning in a clear and succinct way. It's worth noting that in their chapter on style, Strunk and White tend to tell us what not to do and what to avoid and how to pare things back. So, for example, they give advice like, do not overstate, do not overwrite, don't explain too much, avoid fancy words and be clear. In his book, Harry Bingham talks about accuracy, brevity, precision and clarity when he's addressing the issue of style. So I think you can see a theme developing here. It's not about dumbing down your work. It's about saying precisely what you mean in the clearest way possible and then shutting up and moving on. Then we have point of view, which is a critical decision for the author. The different points of view in literature each have their own advantages and disadvantages. So to start, let's talk about what exactly we mean by point of view. It's the viewpoint that's used in the story. And you can tell what it is by looking out for words like he or I or you, they, yourself, myself, his hers, she, he. These words are used to replace nouns and they're called pronouns. So let me give you an example. In The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald, the author tells the whole story from the narrator's point of view. So he uses words like I and my and me. So that story is in the first person. By contrast, let's look at a book we've already mentioned, which is The Old Man and the Sea by Ernest Hemingway. And that starts like this. 
He was an old man who fished alone in a skiff in the Gulf Stream, and he had gone eighty-four days now without taking a fish. This is written in the third person. It's the author's viewpoint as he talks about his characters, and he's using words like he and his and him. The vast majority of books that you will come across are written either in the first or third person. Occasionally you'll find a book in the second person. And these manage to point at the reader and use pronouns like you or your or yourself. For example, Jay McKinnery's book Bright Lights, Big City is written in the second person. Here's an excerpt so you can see what I mean. You're not the kind of guy who would be in a place like this at this time of the morning. But here you are. And you cannot say that the terrain is entirely unfamiliar although the details are fuzzy. You're at a nightclub talking to a girl with a shaved head. The club is either Heartbreak or the Lizard Lounge. All might become clear if you could just slip into the bathroom and do a little more Bolivian marching powder. Then again, it might not. Which of these points of view, first, second and third, have a part in the form of a plural version? So as well as the first person singular, which uses pronouns like I, me and my, we can have the first person plural, which uses words like we, and us, and our. The third person singular has pronouns him, her, his, hers, she, he, but third person plural has pronouns like they, or them, or themselves, or their. And finally, with second person, there's you, your, and yourself for singular, and you, your, and yourselves for plural. And so we come to the last dimension, and this is tense, by which I mean essentially is the story written in the past tense, present tense, or future. And most stories are written in the past, as in he did this, or she said that. Some are written in the present tense, he does this or she says that, and a very small number of books, uh, which are usually written in a kind of more speculative form, use the future tense. These last two dimensions, point of view and tense, are part of a range of decisions that you'll need to make as a writer, depending on the kind of impact and depending on the kind of emotions that you want to create within your story. If you're starting out on a project at the moment, or you've got one in mind, you could try to do this as a practical exercise. On a piece of paper, or in a writing journal if you've got one, and I suggest you do get one, write these headings at the top of each page. Character, plot, genre, theme, setting, style, point of view, and tense. And use that framework for any ideas that come to mind or any notes that you've got as your story develops in your mind. And in the next few episodes, I'm going to use that framework myself to start a storyline, which I hope will illustrate how all of these dimensions work together. So that's all I have for you today. In this episode, I've quoted from The Writer's and Artist's Guide to How to Write by Harry Bingham, published by Bloomsbury. The Elements of Style by William Strunk and E.B. White, published by Longman. Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier, published by Virago. The Old Man and the Sea by Ernest Hemingway, published by Arrow. And Bright Lights and Big City by Jay McKinnonery, published by Bloomsbury. I'm looking forward over the next few months to unpacking these dimensions with you in future episodes. And I'm also planning to bring you a number of interviews exploring practical issues in creativity and creative writing with award-winning writers and also other artists from outside of creative writing. They're going to be fascinating discussions and I hope you enjoy them. I'll be back in a couple of weeks with the next episode. Until then, I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. You can leave feedback at goodreads.com. Look up the Creative Writers Toolbelt group there. I'm on Twitter at Writers Toolbelt, or you can get in touch with me via the website, which is www.andrewjchamberlain.com. My thanks as ever to the guys at Podcast Themes for providing the theme music, and thank you to you for listening. Until next time, goodbye.